GX on Agriculture with Doug Falconer. Good afternoon and welcome to GX on Agriculture. Coming up on today's program, an independent agricultural consultant made his rounds in the Parkland region last week. Brad Magnuson will join us once again on today's program. He joined us on Friday, but today he'll be talking about a number of agricultural commodities starting with pulse crops. The Saskatchewan Association of Rural Municipalities welcomes a federal move to withdraw amendments to Canada's new firearm regulation bill. We'll hear from President Ray Orb on that. Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada is projecting a 6% decline in Western Canadian Durham acreage this spring, but one market analyst believes that's too much of a cut. Marlena Borsch spoke at the Durham Summit last week in Swift Current, and she will tell us about that. Good soil makes good food is the theme of Sask Soil's annual conference coming up in Regina February 14th and 15th. Mark Heimer from Minton is the chair of Sask Soils and he'll join us on today's program. So all of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of GX on Agriculture. But first it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. With Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. Phil, we have some thin cloud here today and some rather gusty winds, but our temperature is sure moderated. Yeah, we are at, uh, or at times, even above the freezing mark. Uh, the, the wind, though, is up, so while uh, wind chill doesn't really get calculated when the temperature is uh, where it is, it can be, and it's about minus 6 for what it's worth. So certainly not bad, even with the uh, gusty winds, these milder temperatures counteracting that. The milder temperatures are really going to be with us for uh, the, much of the week, not necessarily as mild. We're not going to get above freezing each day, but we are going to be above normal. Normal high this time of year now coming up to around minus 9, and again, we have passed the freezing mark this afternoon. We'll be right around uh, 1 degree on the plus side for the afternoon. Tonight, down to minus 8 with a partly cloudy sky. And tomorrow, I may be selling us a little short at minus 1. Uh, some of the latest guidance I'm just seeing here, uh, literally as I'm speaking to you, looking at uh, something that just popped up on my screen, some indication that it could crack 0 once again. So we'll keep that possibility there. We'll say anywhere from minus 1 or better, anywhere once we get above, uh, once we get close to freezing, I think it almost becomes a moot point, whether it's above or below. Melting can occur with the sunshine when the air temperature uh, is below because of the immediate temperatures. We won't get into the details there, but the end result is it's not cold. And that's, that's the important thing. Also, tomorrow, uh, the wind is not as strong. Wind will also come down through the later part of the afternoon through tonight, too. Down to minus 8 tonight, back up again, minus 1, maybe plus 1 tomorrow, minus 6 tomorrow night. And then some snow sets up on Wednesday, likely sometime around uh, noon, late morning, early afternoon, we get into that light snow. And it's going to be a quick round of snow between the afternoon and evening, maybe early nighttime. Most of us on the low end of a two to four, there is going to be a little batch of heavier snow that cuts across somewhere nearby. So we'll keep the uh, possibility for up to four. To our north, northern parts of uh, Saskatchewan, much of northern Manitoba already into some snow. That's going to persist uh, through tonight, through tomorrow. For them, does not drop toward us. It'll be this next system coming in that gets us. It also brings us back down a little bit closer to normal. But again, still we're mostly above as we get back to around minus 8, clearing out on Thursday with a mostly sunny sky, and mostly sunny Friday, minus 6. 
That's Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. Temperatures around the region this hour. The Paw is at minus 1 degree. Swan River and Dauphin plus 1. Brandon minus 5. Show Lake Russell minus 2. Roblin 0. Regina, Broadview, Mooseman, and Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington all reporting in at minus 1. Saskatoon minus 3. Hudson Bay plus 2. Indian Head zero. The Yorkton-Melville region has a mainly sunny sky, a west-northwest wind at 35 gusting to 45 kilometers an hour. 83 percent is the relative humidity. The temperature is zero. Yesterday Yorkton reached a high of minus three degrees and dropped to a low of minus 10 degrees. There was no precipitation recorded in the 24-hour period ending at midnight last night. The normal high for this date is minus 9 degrees. The normal low is minus 21 degrees. The sun rose in Yorkton at 8.20 this morning and it will set at 5.48 this afternoon. Extreme temperatures for Manitoba and Saskatchewan yesterday the Manitoba hot spot was Swan River at minus 1 degree. The cold spot was Tadouli Lake at minus 36 degrees. The Saskatchewan hot spot yesterday was Maple Creek at plus 6 degrees. The cold spot was Uranium City at minus 23 degrees. And that's your agriculture weather. An independent agricultural consultant made his rounds in the Parkland region last week. Brad Magus Magnuson was in Wadena on Tuesday and Swan River on Wednesday. He provided producers with tips on their agriculture strategy and management. On Friday, Magnuson talked about canola and wheat. Today, he will talk about a number of agricultural commodities, starting with pulse crops. If we take a look at peas, peas have been fairly strong. There is strong demand out of uh, China. China is our major purchases of both our yellow and green peas and that has been strong now a lot of people say well how come indians not india is not buying or pakistan a lot of those peas are flowing through china um, they're getting processed uh, usually into uh, a food additive or as a non-meat product and then flowing back into india and pakistan as a finished product so we are watching sales uh, this year uh, of China buying a, lo a lot of pea, pea meal, uh, pea flour. So that's, that's positive and kept that price uh, strong. The other problem that we're having in some of our areas, say north and north uh, or in and around North Battleford, we're seeing a lot of uh, problems with disease. So we are, uh, we are, looking for uh, opportunities to seed peas in other areas like the 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 Wadena area, the Yorkton area, and that's only going to be positive. He's glad to hear that India waived its tariff on Canadian lentils for another year. I think that's very, very positive news. They've had average crops in India, better, better crops, uh, unfortunately, on the wheat side last year. But I think that food demand and, and one of the things that we're, we're starting to hear more about is food and food security. 
So I think that, you know, we're starting to see some some countries open up a little bit and make sure that we are trading with other nations in a fair manner. Magnuson notes he's keeping his eye on a couple of specialty crops. You know, one of the one of the things that uh, I think the two things that are surprising this year are both uh, canary seed and mustard. Globally, we just don't have mustard anywhere in the world. Now, we've got to remember that Saskatchewan is the largest, uh, pretty much the primary primary area to grow all of the mustard for the world. And with the with the dry conditions we've had over the last couple of years, that has shot mustard prices, un, unheard of mustard prices, over $1.20 uh, a pound. And, and that is uh, leading to some very uh, profitable opportunities for producers to look at other crops like mustard. He also follows the livestock market quite closely. Beef is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm certainly a, a, an analyst looking at, at grain, but I think my, probably my, my favorite is the cattle business. I grew up in the grain and the cattle business, and, and on our farm, my job was the cattle. You know, we have uh, one thing we've, we know is that, uh, of course, the United States has a lot more cattle in our, than we do. This year, we're down quite strongly in the United States, about 3.2 to about 3.6%. On our on our global herd, around about uh, 28.8 million head of cattle. Put that in perspective. Canada has around about 3.4 million head of cattle. So when we look at the the cattle market, we see that inventories are down um, both in Canada and the United States. Cattle on feed are also down. That uh, will will keep upward uh, pressure on prices. I think the one big unknown is recession. A strong recession in North America does have a tendency to put downward pressure on cattle prices. So we're really, really paying attention to what's going on in Canada and the United States from a recession point of view. Magnuson keeps tabs on the pork industry as well. Yes, the pork industry, we've got a lot of breeding sales. We're putting a lot of farrowings we're having a lot of farrowings. The market has been strong. And again, I think one of the problems that we're going to, one of the areas that I have a little bit of concern about is just how strong is that recession. As we move into a recession, we don't stop eating meat. But what we have a tendency to do is on the beef side, move from maybe prime rib or T-bone steak to hamburger. On the pork side, we have a tendency to move to more of the cheaper pork chop cuts of meat versus the roast. And, of course, there's more margin, there's more, more revenue per pound generated on the higher cuts of meat than the lower cuts of meat. So, again, recession, recession, need to keep focused on where we're going with, uh, with our, our gross domestic product, GDP, in, in North America. And he notes avian flu has had a significant impact on the poultry industry. And we're seeing some shortfalls in, in a number of countries particularly in the egg market. Here in Canada, we have a very, very stable poultry industry with the supply and demand and our uh, tariff rate quotas. So we don't see that moving. One of the things that it's affecting the poultry industry is the cost of feed. That certainly, uh, with the price of barley, the price of corn going up, uh, it certainly is affecting us. But uh, strong demand, strong demand for chicken continues. 
Again, what we're doing is we're following our better cuts of meat, like our boneless, skinless chicken breast are quite expensive. And is that consumer, as we move into a recession, going to continue to pay those high prices for those high uh, cuts of, uh, of chicken? Brad Magnuson is an independent agricultural consultant based in Manitoba. He held seminars in Wadena and Swan River last week. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program. GX94 Ag Review. CP Rails says it's ready to roll on its proposed merger with Kansas City Southern Railroad as the final decision by a U.S. regulator on the deal is expected soon. CEO Keith Creel told told analysts on a conference call last week that the ruling by the U.S. Surface Transportation Board is expected sometime this quarter. The decision is the final hurdle CP must clear in its bid to purchase KCS for $31 billion U.S. and create the only single-line railroad linking the United States Mexico and Canada. Creel said he can't get ahead of the STB, but if the decision goes CP's way, it plans to host an investor day in June to provide more details about the future of the merged railroad. CN and CP Rail supplied a combined 62% of hopper cars ordered in Grain Week 26, a significant decline from the previous week's 72%, and the second consecutive week we have seen system performance post a significant drop. The performance decline reflects a decline in performance for each of CN and CP. In supplying 69% of hopper cars ordered on time in week 26, CN's order fulfillment performance declined from the 78% order fulfillment performance seen in week 25, having now declined for three consecutive weeks. CN performance once again fell short of the 90% threshold, having now not reached that threshold in 13 of the last 14 weeks. CP order fulfillment performance declined sharply once again last week, with the railway supplying only 55% of cars ordered, a decline from the 68% order fulfillment performance seen in week 25. This marks the 21st consecutive week that CP has fallen short of the 90% performance threshold. Canada has withdrawn proposed amendments to gun legislation that would have banned certain types of rifles and shotguns after opponents alleged the prohibitions unfairly targeted farmers and hunters. The amendments were added to a gun control package that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's government introduced last year after the mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas, where a gunman killed 19 children and two teachers in their elementary school. The package included a ban on the sale of handguns and prohibitions on the sale of large-capacity magazines. Trudeau enacted the handgun freeze in October under executive order, and in November his government amended the package to ban certain rifles and shotguns that hold more than five rounds, among other changes. While most of Trudeau's gun control measures have been popular among voters in the past, those amendments set off fierce criticism by the Conservative Party, the largest opposition bloc, who described them as an attack on Canadian hunters. 
Canada's federal New Democrats have appointed their critic for agriculture and agri-food to a new point position on a major issue. After the House of Commons resumed sitting last Monday, NDP leader Jugmeet Singh on Friday named Alastair McGregor, the MP for a Vancouver Island riding, to an additional role as critic for food price inflation. McGregor, the party's ag critic since 2018, says he will fight for every tool possible to stop greedflation so people have more breathing room. That includes leading the fight for a windfall tax because he wants to stop rewarding grocery giants for gouging families. A Northern California district attorney has confirmed a farm worker charged with killing seven people last week was enraged by a $100 work-related repair bill. The San Mateo County DA says 66-year-old Chun-Li Zhao told investigators his supervisor demanded he pay for damage to his forklift after it collided with a bulldozer on a mushroom farm. Zhao says the co-worker operating the bulldozer was to blame. And that's the Ag Review portion of our program. It's mainly sunny and zero in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at 1 o'clock. The Saskatchewan Association of Rural Municipalities welcomes a federal move to withdraw amendments to Canada's new firearm regulation bill. SARM was upset with federal efforts to amendments last fall that would have banned many firearms commonly used by farmers and ranchers. SARM President Ray Orb says the federal decision to withdraw the amendments is good news. We're very pleased that the federal government has finally seen the light and withdrawn the amendments that were proposed. We were one of the organizations that pushed really hard, trying to get the message out there that the federal government needs to reconsider this. We're glad that this happened. We're glad that they pulled this amendment from the legislation. He outlines his key concerns about the amendments. Well, we've been told all along by the federal government, you know, when they started talking about a, a handgun ban, and, and we were always concerned about farmers owning shotguns and rifles and ranchers and hunters that use those weapons to either protect their livestock for their livelihood, perhaps, in some cases, but also, you know, they needed to do that for uh, hunting. They need to use those weapons for hunting. So we're always concerned about that. The federal government said, don't worry about that. I don't know how many times the federal government told us not to be worried about that. But then when we saw the amendments, we realized that the federal government, indeed, we knew that they weren't listening or perhaps they weren't listening enough. And uh, that was the issue that we had all along with us. So we're glad that they did reconsider. Orb says it would have banned several types of rifles and shotguns commonly used by farmers. Yeah, I think they really, you know, in, in most cases, they didn't really realize what they were banning because there were some weapons, you know, that hunters have used for a long time. And they really weren't uh, weapons that, I would say they weren't dangerous. They were weapons that hunters knew how to operate, uh, knew how to control, and uh, they used them in, on a regular basis. So the, the list was there, but I just think the federal government didn't really look through it to, to realize that when they were banning these guns, they were actually taking a lot of firearms away from illegal gun owners. He's happy that the federal government has reconsidered. We're very pleased about it, and we're hoping they, um, you know, they don't bring back any amendments. 
without doing a proper consultation. I think that's a point. The federal government needed to and always needs to do a proper consultation whether looking at either bringing in new legislation or else regulation changes or amendments. On another topic, Orb notes the SARM annual convention is being held in Saskatoon next month. He outlines what he believes the major issues will be. Well, you know, the issues, uh, honestly, there are going to be a lot of questions there to, to our, uh, you know, our bear pets. The Premier will be speaking. I know that rural health care is probably one of the biggest issues right now. We're hearing a lot about that, about the problems in rural Saskatchewan, you know, about ambulances being tied up. Physician shortage, uh, nurse shortage in rural Saskatchewan is another issue that's affecting everybody in rural Saskatchewan. So we've got some key ministers speaking there, uh, you know, the Minister of Agriculture, Minister of Environment, Minister of Health and Rural Health, and uh, Minister of Government Relations. So those are all key speakers that are really important to our membership. He adds rural crime is always a topic of discussion. Rural crime will come up, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure it's it's going to be in the bear pit. Uh, there are dialogue sessions as well, so I'm thinking there will be some overlap there, and we will definitely get some questions on that. It's an issue that we see, you know, it's not going away, and we're still interested in learning more about this provincial marshals program, and we have sent in some questions to the Minister Tell to get some things clarified, and that will lead to a meeting. I'm quite sure in the next couple of weeks with Minister Tell uh, to explain uh, why exactly they're doing that. We're also meeting with Assistant Commissioner Blackmore in the near future, and we're going to be talking about the role of the RHCMP, uh, also touching base on uh, the uh, Provincial Rural Crime Watch Association uh, and uh, you know how we can further help the RHCMP. Ray Orb is the president of the Saskatchewan Association of Rural Municipalities, The annual SARM convention is in Saskatoon, March 14th through the 16th. Livestock Market Conditions U.S. live cattle futures for April are trading at 164.35, that's up 22. June live cattle trading at 160.57, up 30. March feeder cattle trading at 187.57, up 147. April feeder cattle trading at 191.52, up 90. April lean hogs trading at 82.92, down 355. May lean hogs trading at 92.15, down 312. And that's the livestock market conditions. Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada is projecting a 6% decline in Western Canadian Durham acreage this spring, but one market analyst believes that's too much of a cut. Marlena Borsch spoke to reporters following her presentation at the Durham Summit last Wednesday in Swift Current. I can see that we might be losing some acres in the fringe areas where we play off with spring wheat, for example. But I don't really see a reduction in the major Durham area. So maybe a very slight to even uh, acreage would be my bias. And then the most important factor to watch will be growing conditions and the influence on yield. The North African countries of Morocco, Tunisia and Algeria are major Durham producers and importers. 
but it appears the 2023 crop is off to a poor start. Uh, they plant at a different time, but the weather has been dry, continued to be dry, and I would highlight them as areas of concern. So as their production is impaired, potentially, by adverse weather conditions, that would also mean a supportive picture for imports. So that's what we are looking at right now. For now, I would assume roughly the same level of exports from Canada, 4.8 to 5.0 million tons for next year as well. When it comes to old crop Durham, Borsch is not anticipating much price fluctuation. My personal bias is that we have seen the top of the Durham market um, for this year. I don't think we will go much lower than we are right now because Europe still has some uh, needs and we just did sales to Tunisia and then to Algeria, which were at relatively good prices. But again, I think we have seen the top of the market, which was fueled by U.S. purchases from Canada in the fall. Borsch made her comments last Wednesday at the Durham Summit in Swift Current. The East Central Research Foundation farm near Yorkton has participated in another study. Research coordinator Mike Hall says it was a project led by the Northeast Agricultural Research Foundation and the Canary Seed Development Commission of Saskatchewan. It covered how canary seed varieties designed for the bird seed and human consumption markets respond to seeding rate and added potassium. The trial compares two seeding rates with and without added potash on two classes of canary seed. The variety Lumio represents a human consumption hairless class and Keat represents a haired variety targeted for the bird seed market. Keat should be higher yielding but it's itchy for the harvest operator. I've created figures from the tables and have kept everything as kilograms per hectare. For those of us who think in pounds per acre, we'll have to do a little math and multiply these numbers by roughly 0.9. In other words, 100 kilograms per hectare is equivalent to roughly 90 pounds per acre. This figure represents the main effects of variety on canary seed yield. The first thing you'll notice is the lower yields at Swift Current where drought was suffered in 2022. As expected, the birdseed variety Keat was significantly higher yielding at Melford, Swift Current, and Indian Head. My site at Yorkton had to buck the trend as CDC Lumio was significantly higher yielding. It should be noted that we had a severe hail event on June 23rd. While the canary seed was not advanced when the hail occurred, it is possible that CDC Lumio was better able to recover from the hail damage and yield more. Plant establishment was good, but varied between locations. A difference in emergence between the high and low seeding rates ranged from a low of 50 plants per meter squared at Swift Current to a high of 127 plants per meter squared at Melford. Differences of 120 plants per meter squared was established at Indian Head and 99 plants per meter squared at Yorkton. Here are the main effects of seeding rate, which had no significant effect on canary seed yield. But what about potash? Our site at Yorkton was the only site to have a significant response to added potash. This has occurred for us in the past, too. From 2014 to 2015, we were involved in a canary seed study led by Bill May from Agriculture Canada at Indian Head. In that study, three out of seven site years significantly responded to added potash, and Yorkton was one of those site years. Bill determined, even from earlier work, 
that the response to potash is actually to the chloride and not the potassium. This was confirmed by finding yield responses similar to added potash with calcium chloride. The canary seed doesn't care if it's getting the chloride from the potassium or the calcium. In fact, canary seed has even responded to broadcast applications as chloride can be moved into the soil with precipitation. In contrast, potassium is not mobile in the soil, so surface application would not provide potassium to the roots below. So how about maturity? Canary seed is a long maturing crop. Were we able to short maturity with any of the treatments? At Yorkton and Indian Head, hairless CDC Lumio, bred for the human consumption market, was found to be about a day earlier maturing at Yorkton and Indian Head. However, this difference is still small and not of great agronomic importance. Technically, increasing seeding rate did not significantly affect maturity at any location. However, increasing seeding rate did numerically hasten maturity at Yorkton by about a day. Again, agronomically, not a big deal. The addition of potash significantly hastened maturity by 0.7 days at Indian Head at 1.3 days at Yorkton. So added potash increased yield and hastened maturity at Yorkton, which is a pretty good deal. But how did potash affect lodging? Here are the lodging ratings for canary seed with and without added potash. A rating of zero means the crop is standing tall and straight and a rating of 9 means the crop is flat to the ground. For most sites, added potash did not affect lodging very much. The exception to this was Yorkton, where added potash significantly increased lodging. The increased lodging likely occurred because added potash also significantly increased yield at this site. Lodging was significantly more for the hairless variety CDC Lumio at both Melfort and Swift Current, Numerically, this was also true at Yorkton. I won't show you the data, but seeding rate did not have an effect on lodging. Lodging is usually worse at higher seeding rates, but we didn't see this. Conclusions Keat, a hairy variety for the birdseed market, was usually higher yielding than CDC Lumio, a hairless variety for human consumption. The opposite was true at Yorkton. But Lumio may be better at recovering from hail, although this is just wild speculation. Lodging tended to be higher for CDC Lumio. Maturity differences between varieties and seeding rates were small. Adding potash increased yield, but only at the Yorkton site. Despite high soil caying chloride, it still increased yield. Adding potash didn't have large effects on lodging at most sites, except Yorkton. At Yorkton, added potash increased lodging, but this may have been due to the increased yield potential. Added potash hastened maturity by up to 1.3 days at Yorkton, an added benefit to the yield increase that was also received from adding potash at this location. Mike Hall is the research coordinator at the East Central Research Foundation farm near Yorkton. Commodities Update. Canola futures are trading up in the nearby months this hour. March canola trading at 834.10, up $2.50. May canola trading at 831.20, up $2.30.
March Minneapolis wheat trading at 9.19 and a half, down two cents. March Kansas City wheat trading at 8.78 and a half, up five and a half cents. March Chicago wheat trading at 7.52 and a quarter, down four and a half cents. March corn trading at 6.77 per bushel, down a half a cent. March soybeans trading at 15.19 and a quarter, down 12 and three quarters of a cent. March oats trading at 3.84 and a half, up one cent. And that's the commodities update. Farm Bulletin Board. Good soil makes good food is the theme of Sask Soils annual conference coming up in Regina next week, February 14th and 15th. Sask Soil is the descendant of the Saskatchewan Soil Conservation Association, which drew large numbers of producers for their events in the 1990s when direct seeding was being introduced on more farms. Mark Heimer from Minton, Saskatchewan, is the chair of Sask Soil. The fundamentals have stayed the same, but it's just kind of an, an evolution of the thinking. Originally, the Sask Soil Conservation Association was formed to promote uh, no-till. It was pretty successful in getting a lot of people interested, getting a lot of information out, but uh, no-till is, is pretty common in Saskatchewan, and uh, like like any organization that has to prove its relevance, we started looking for the things that farmers can do to improve the quality of their soil and just kind of move the farm ahead as far as the health of their land. He explains what producers are doing to improve the quality and health of their soils. Probably the one people are most familiar with is just a really solid crop rotation and mixing up the different crops that are seeded to make sure that you're not... Uh, not overlapping too much. Some of the other things that have, have become really popular lately are, are things like cover cropping and uh, intercropping. Intercropping is, is kind of the uh, usage of two different crops grown at the same time. It can have tremendous benefits, uh, reduction in, in fertilizer use and, uh, and in fungicides and insect pressure. It's been really successful for the guys that have been able to, to dial it in and to make it work. Cover cropping is uh, another one that has got a lot of popularity lately. Uh, the federal government is, is trying to promote it currently with some programming that they've got going on now. And it's just taking a, a whole bunch of different species of different crops and introducing them into cropped land with the purpose of diversifying the, the effects. So the different plants bring in different insects, different organisms in the soil favor different plants. It's a way to kind of inject some diversity into uh, into farming just because of some of the ways that the farming is done now. Uh, it doesn't always have the diversity that people are looking for. Heimer says cattle, for instance, can be used for organic fertilizer. Absolutely, yes. Cattle are, are another fantastic stimulant when it comes to cycling nutrients and uh, in just kind of reactivating some of the bugs and some of the, the bacteria and some of the, the living organisms that are in the soil. Some of the organisms that reside in the, in the gut of a cow are also the same things that are found in, in the soil. And so reintroducing livestock can kind of jumpstart that. And actually, uh, Many people who are trying to figure out the right formula for working with cover crops 
are also using livestock as a way to not only to increase the diversity and kind of reinvigorate the soil with the cover crop, but by grazing it, they can also keep the cash flow moving at the same time. He says regenerative agriculture sees the reintroduction of certain nutrients back into the soil that were prevalent 50 to 100 years ago. It's really hard to nail down what regenerative agriculture is, but basically any practice that you can take up that improves the overall health of your land, increases the diversity of the things that you're growing, increases the number of insects, um, hopefully, largely, um, the uh, predator insects that are helping keep some of the pests away, but, but just overall and generally increasing the amount of, of organisms that the land has on it. it seems to be a big part of keeping the land and the soil cycling the nutrients that we're really after uh, utilizing and to grow the crops that we do. Mark Heimer from Minton is the chair of Sask Soil, which is hosting a two-day conference in Regina next week, February 14th and 15th. There is an in-person registration, and the program will also be streamed online as well. More information can be found at sasksoil.ca. Some other events on the Farm Bulletin Board. The Ag Awareness Summit is coming up February 14th and 15th as well. Farm and Food Care Saskatchewan is co-hosting the 2023 Ag Awareness Summit with the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture to celebrate 10 years of work to build public trust in the industry. This event will bring people together from across the agricultural spectrum, from crops and livestock to horticulture and poultry production, as well as large and small-scale farms, agribusinesses, researchers, and government. They're pleased to offer several engaging opportunities to meet leaders across the food system and learn about ways of connecting with consumers. The speakers include Colin Angus, an adventurer, author, and co-founder of Open Ocean Robotics, as well as Tim McMillan, the former president and CEO of the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers, and Tobin Dick, a farmer and journalist, Heather Thompson, the executive director of the Alberta School of Business Centre for Cities and Communities, and Travis Lowe, the CEO and owner at Blue Moose Media. For more information on this summit, you can contact Farm and Food Care Saskatchewan at 306-477-3663, or you can simply go to their website. It's www.farmfoodcaresk.org. The East Central Research Foundation farm near Yorkton is still looking for a new research assistant or even a co-coordinator that could take the leadership role in a few years. They're looking for a recent master's student graduate in agronomy, and that would be ideal. If you know of anyone who would be interested in this position, you're asked to forward your email to m.hall at parklandcollege.sk.ca, or you can contact Mike directly at 306-621-6032. There is no closing date at this time, so if you've got a resume to send them, go ahead and do that. Once again, it's m.hall at parklandcollege.sk.ca, the East Central Research Foundation farm near Yorkton, looking for a new research assistant. And that's all the time we have for today's Farm Bulletin Board. 
It's now coming up on 1 o'clock. That means it's time to check the GX94 precision weather forecast for the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. Partly sunny at times, winds northwest at 25 to 45, gusting to 60, and a high of plus 1. For tonight, partly cloudy, winds west-southwest at 10 to 20, a low of minus 8. For tomorrow, partly sunny, winds west-southwest at 10 to 20, a high of minus 1, a low of minus 6. For Wednesday, 2 to 4 centimeters of snow, winds east-southeast at 10 to 20, and a high of minus 2. For Thursday, sunny skies, a high of minus 8, and Friday, mainly sunny, a high of minus 6. In the Paw, it's minus 1 degree. Swan River and Dauphin are at plus 1. Brandon, minus 5. Show Lake Russell, minus 2. Roblin, 0. Regina, Broadview, Mooseman, Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington all reporting in at minus 1. Saskatoon, minus 3. Hudson Bay, plus 2. Indian Head, 0. The Yorkton-Melville region has a mainly sunny sky, a west-northwest wind at 35, gusting to 45 kilometers an hour. 83% is the relative humidity. The temperature is zero. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for GX on Agriculture for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 for another edition of the program.